the Jungian self idea of what you would be if you manifested every aspect of yourself fully and you reached your potential, whatever that is, that your experiences are the curriculum that provide the necessary adaptive stimulus to force you to become what it is you're supposed to become. So I view everything, especially the hardships, as this is my curriculum yeah. today. Okay, guys, Splendid Torch Podcast. We have a special <laughs> episode today. So we're 10 episodes in, and I don't think one episode has gone by. Even my solo episode has gone by without me mentioning you, my dear friend. I'm honored. <laughs> Professor Chris Matakis, how are you, sir? Dude, I'm great. It's great to be here. It's see awesome to have you here. Um, yeah, dude, you keep looking around, and, and the funny thing is one of the things that – I mentioned oftentimes on this podcast is uh, many, many moons ago when we'd be cleaning the mats at you know headquarters yeah. on Broad Street, and you know the thought of having a school, any size school, like the size of the, we're in a closet right now, <laughs> but dude, that was the goal. The goal yeah. was like if I could just have a closet and right. I would put mats down, I'd be not only would I be like happy and content, I'd be successful. That yeah. would be a, a huge success. You know, now you're looking around. You come to the school today. Three mats going. Yeah, man, we got to walk like 100 feet just to get all the way to this corner to record. And the thing always was my corner of the world. Yes. Right? Like as long as I could have my corner of the world, my place to do my work, everything would fall into place. And, you've and done here that. we are, dude. Yeah, We're looking around. It's a thing, bro. It's, it's just beautiful. funny because like, you know, you come in and, and I see you. You're like looking around and it's like, holy shit, we, we made it. We're yeah. here. Yeah. But then w what tends to happen when you make it? You got to go somewhere else. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, dude, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I've heard nothing but amazing things. All my students listen to it. They love it. We um, get a lot of good feedback. The yeah. thing that, that felt pretty good was we took a, a high, like I went on vacation for a week. The day I got back, Pete went on vacation for a week. Mm -hmm. So we were gone for two weeks and people were like, where the hell are you guys? That's dude, always, that, that's encouraging. It is. And then you get to return to it with fresh eyes. Yeah, we were excited. It's been a while since I was making fun of Pete. On uh, on the podcast, and it was it, there was a, a void in my life, um, dude. So here here's the tricky part with having you on the podcast. Mm -hmm. We can go a million ways. Yes, we can. We could literally sit here and bro out. Mm -hmm. We could talk about like the good old days, the the days of old when the nights were bold. Mm -hmm. We could talk about our you know winding road to get here. We could talk about mutual injuries, <laughs> of which we have many. Yep. Um, we could talk about, how many books do you have now? I think 11 going on 12. Dude, that's a lot of books. And I, w I was about to say like seven. So <laughs> I'm terrible I'm at a, advertising. I'm a bad, you're, you're, you are awful at advertising, yeah. and I'm a bad friend. Um, but what we... What we decided on is the hero's journey. The hero's journey. What and you know, I'm not gonna, you know, steal all your airtime and I definitely don't want to put words in your mouth. Mm -hmm. Why do you think the hero's journey is a great place to start? Because it's the most fundamental human story. Like if you break life up through the lens of a narrative, like the most fundamental portion of it is you are somewhere and like you just said, you wanna go somewhere else. And from the journey from A to B, you will encounter novelty. And often that novelty is difficult, and it's how you respond to the conflict that determines if you get to point B. And then our job is just to continually go through those cycles of death and rebirth each time we encounter novelty, and you get a little bit wiser. 
and a little bit more of whatever it is you're supposed to be each time. So yeah. I think it's the the singular unit of the human story. And it's expressed in every Disney movie, on every jujitsu mat. Like it's it's the human myth. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's just assume that most people listening mm-hmm. can't recite the the hero's journey. So yes. there's there's stages to it. Right now, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm gonna guess that uh, Joseph Campbell did not invent that, right? Did no, he steal so it? Who did he steal that from? It's not that he stole it. It's that he was, at that time, the first person to articulate it in a like schematic framework. So humanity has always told stories through that lens because there's no other way to tell the story. He was the one who stood on the foundation of religions and myth and articulated what it was we were doing. But he got, it seems like he got most of that from Young. Like, I almost think he... Got all of it from Young. Yeah. Yeah. Just Carl Young didn't codify it as as clearly. He, what Peterson is to Young as far as making these things accessible to us, that's kind of what Campbell was to Young. Yeah. Because he was in another, like, Carl Young wasn't a human being. The way he interpreted the human experience, it's like haunting to read and study. Right. And Joseph Campbell made it more accessible for us. It's funny you say that because Joseph Campbell is not really that accessible. Some of the stuff is. <laughs> yeah. Like you told me to get one of his books and I was I was like, holy shit. I read the first like three pages. I was like, I don't have the bandwidth for this right now. <laughs> you do. Like, you I don't need the to time. <laughs> I don't need to learn German right now. Um yeah, so let's make it pretty simple. He, Joseph Campbell, I think he brought it to, you know, um, mainstream with hero with a thousand faces was yes. that the first time you kind of presented it in its fullest form yeah yeah, yeah. all right let's get down to the nitty-gritty the i think you might agree I, i'm not like a star wars guy uh-huh. but apparently star wars is like the ideal example of the hero's journey so who wrote what was it george lucas yeah yeah he was heavily influenced by joseph Campbell. Uh, they hung out together like on the ranch and oh, get the hell out of here. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I'm not making that up. No, not at all. Not at all. And then actually after they made the movie, he had a private viewing with Joseph Campbell. And Joseph Campbell explained to him, like, this is why this is such a cool scene. Right. In a way that he kind of understood, but not fully. Yeah. And and, and there there's like the inherent uh, validity of the hero's journey myth then. Yeah. Because yeah. almost any story that we would consider like a heroic epic mm-hmm. or maybe any story at all, yeah, you can find elements of the hero's journey. Always. So I think it would serve our audience well to just walk through like a basic example of the hero's journey. Because right. they're going to um, recognize a lot of the phrasing. Yes, yes. So let's go like the meta story and then we can use an example of one, yeah. right? So like the fundamental story, imagine it like you're looking at a clock. And 12 o'clock is status quo. That's the beginning of the movie, right? And at 1 o'clock, there's a call to adventure where something happens that now they are thrust into, you have to go on a quest. Right after that, at 2 o'clock, is the refusal of the call because we don't want to leave home. We don't want to go on that adventure. It's scary. It's hard. And then also around that time is the supernatural aid where someone, a mentor, a coach, a guide shows up and it's like, dude, I got you. Let's go do it together. So, so real quick, that would be Luke is hanging out on, again, I I never even saw the fucking movie. Yeah. But he's hanging out on Tatooine or something. And then uh, he gets the message from Princess Leia saying, we need your help. And he's like, oh, I'm going to help. And then he's like, no, I don't want to. I'm scared. Or he's like, I, I don't know who I am. Yes. And then Obi-Wan is the supernatural 
Bro, I haven't seen Star. You're yeah, so you're, you're looking let's, at me. Let's, like, let's use Lion King. All right. All right. <laughs> we see Lion King. We all know Lion King. So, all right. Uh, status quo is Simba's born, right? Yeah. And then, let's see. Um, supernatural aid would be Rafiki, yeah. in a sense, coming to him. And it's like, all right, bro, now you have to go on your quest. And that's around 3 o'clock where it's the crossing of the threshold. And that's the big one. So it's pretty much the top half of the clock is the ordinary world. The bottom half of the clock is the super ordinary world, right? right. So at three o'clock, you cross the threshold. You go from the known world to the unknown. And then from three o'clock to nine o'clock, that's where everything happens. So what actually happens, right? There's trials and tribulations that lead to a great battle, whatever that battle might be. And within that battle, there's the atonement of the father, which is the idea of like rescue the father from the belly of the whale. Yeah which pretty much the hero's job is to go off into the unknown world and acquire some boon that he brings back to his world and revivifies his culture. So it's this kind of reciprocal arrangement where the community supports the hero and then the hero goes off and comes back and supports the community. Yeah. And they go over and over and over. So when you're around six o'clock, you have the atonement with the father by having some great struggle. But then you also have this sort of reconciliation with the contrasexual aspects of your personality. So there's always a love interest, right? Yeah. And that is both external, that on the hero's journey you find your counterpoint in another, but that's also representative of the inward journey because we're going to get into the weeds a little bit because Jung broke the personality down into fundamentally ego, right, which is who you think you are. The shadow, which is like the darker parts of you that you need to integrate that aggression to be fully formed, to be a you know an altruistic monster, like Peterson would say. But then there's also the anima or animus, which is the contrasexual form of your personality that your culture suppressed. So for us, the anima, the female counterpoint, which you being a father now to two girls, that has manifested that aspect of your personality. Because Carl Jung believed fundamentally what we were really pursuing was wholeness mm -hmm. and that a Christ was the representation of the fully integrated masculine and feminine in one person. So part of this hero's journey is to incorporate the aspect of your personality that's been suppressed. And that happens in the underworld, usually through the meeting of the love interest and not only externally, but internally manifesting those forms of your psyche. And then you go through all that, and then there's the flight to return. Because it's never like, cool, I pulled the dragon, now we're done. Yeah. There's always like some difficult road back. And sometimes there's even a refusal to return back to the ordinary world. Like, when I went on that solo road trip, why did I want to come back? There was yeah. part of a refusal of, I'm not going back to New Jersey. Right. But then you do come back, and then from 9 to 12 is the, they call it the master of the two worlds, where you were master of the underworld, but now with this new skill you've acquired, you bring it to your regular life and you serve your people and you revivify your culture. And then you're back at status quo, like you said, which is owning a jujitsu school with three mats. Now what do I do? Yeah. Well, then you go again through the clock and yeah, you go on The next call to adventure. Yeah. Dude, I think um, maybe even better than Lion King would be Moana. You ever see Moana? Dude, great movie, but I don't remember it well enough. I, I got to tell you, like you're you're going through all these steps, and that might be the 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 ideal example, the the hero's okay. journey. The only thing is, and I, I don't want to stop you, but like you're talking about the love interest, and um, Moana like famously does not have a love interest, 
Nice. I think it might be the first time where there's no other guy that she's like smitten with. Yes. She does have like Maui, who is like the big brother kind of supernatural guy mixed. Was that the rock? That was the rock. Nice. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so what are your thoughts on that? If there is not a love interest present, like what can take that role? Or is it just not that important? You could say that through the lens of that story, the arc of her development did not require that, which kind of makes sense because Moana would be a very masculine woman yeah. who had already integrated that masculine aggression into her personality and maybe therefore did not require that from that particular journey. Yeah. Yeah. Also, but, Disney probably wanted to have a female totally. empowered yeah, it's role. Huge. It's yeah. huge. Um, so, you know, if anybody's listening, they're a little confused. First off, go back, listen again. Um, I have the benefit of having this conversation with you dozens of times. Yeah. But, um, dude, Moana is the best example. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's perfect. It's step by step. Um, and, you know, I'm excited to talk about this because, like, what do we do for a living? We help people go on their hero's journeys yeah, through jiu-jitsu. Yeah. yeah. So, like, you, you've put a lot of thought into this. How... How do you think jujitsu is like the ideal representation of the hero's journey? Shameless plug. I wrote a book called Hero, which is how the hero's journey is the best pathway We were talking about it last night in the locker room. Jiu-jitsu. One of my students yeah. just got it. Awesome. Yeah, cool. he, he read uh, Five Rules for White Belts. Okay. He felt compelled to start there, being that he is a white belt. Nice. And then nice. he went towards hero. Yeah. Because so, he looks like a friggin' superhero. He's like 240 rib jacked. That's awesome. But I told him, I'm like, dude, hold on to your hats. Like, this is yeah. it's a good word. place so, to go. What does the hero do, right? What is the meta action? It's fundamentally the hero responds to the difficult task in the most productive way, whether it is battling entropy or ignorance or malevolence or a dragon. It's always you do the difficult thing on behalf of what could be. So if you think of using that metaphor of the top of the clock is the ordinary world and the bottom of the clock is the super ordinary world, for every jiu-jitsu student, the supernatural world is stepping onto the mat because they leave home, they go off on this new adventure, they encounter tremendous difficulty. And within that difficulty, it's an opportunity to acquire new information, to become more fully formed, to slay dragons, so to speak, so you can acquire the boon that they represent. And on the mat, it's a lesson as to, you know, how not to get choked or how to do a guard pass. But there is a a meta process occurring underneath that, that then you take that behavioral pattern back home and you integrate that lesson that you learned in jujitsu and you're a better husband, a better father, you're calmer in traffic, whatever it might be. But each day is a mini hero's journey, but it's fundamentally the same thing of voluntarily choosing the difficult path to experience experiences that you would not in your ordinary life because the environment grows the organism, and jujitsu is the environment that will offer the opportunity to manifest parts of yourself that need to be manifested that your daily life does not force you so to. So you're saying, let me ask you this. So you're yeah. saying like parts of yourself that need to be manifested. Yeah. How does one recognize that? Like, so let's go right to the beginning. Yeah. Like the call to action, the Through call the- to adventure. Where does that, I, it's different for everybody. You know, for some of us, it's, it's like, well, I think maybe the motivating factor is the same for everybody, but like the actual like trigger maybe of recognizing that there is a call within you, like what are some of those you think? So 
Carl Jung had this idea of circumambulation, which was imagine water funneling down a drain that starts in a big circle and gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it finds a way. And he said, that's what we're doing psychologically is like you try some new job or profession or hobby and it's not for you, but you learned a little bit. And then from that standpoint, you then see, oh, no, this is what I really want to do. And you go do that thing. And then once you get there, it's no, this isn't it, but I want to go do that. And the journey between points gets smaller and smaller as you get closer and closer to what it is you're supposed to be. Right. Yeah. So the, one of the things that Peterson talks about so well is – you know, we make the mistake of not knowing where we need to aim. Yes. But he's like, doesn't matter. Take aim. Yeah. Why? Because, yeah. you know, you shoot your arrow and it's not on target. But at least now you're going in a direction yes. and you can make adjustments. Yes. Right? Same kind of idea. And then to take that further, how do you know what is the shiny object to follow? So this is where like a Peterson and Young will say, you can use meaning to orient yourself in your life. And that would be the ideal of that circumambulation as you get closer and closer to what you're supposed to be. The thing you're pursuing is yourself, the capital S self in like a Jungian vocabulary, which is what you would be if you manifested every aspect of yourself fully. Like the Petus Pete that ever peated, the best version of you, <laughs> that would be yourself. And the idea is that the self exists in the future as an ideal, but it exists in the present and reveals itself by making things meaningful so that you can use meaning to orient yourself in your life. Because How do you apply meaning to so things? You can't, what, you can't make yourself be interested in something you don't care about. Like I'm doing these board exams for like the life coaching stuff and I love the coaching, but I can't stand these like questions on like ethics that are obvious that I have to memorize so I can pass some nonsensical tests just so I can like be qualified. Yeah. Because I am qualified. Yeah. But I cannot make myself interested in those things. You can't control what you're interested in. It's more you become aware of your interest. And if you develop the awareness to see where do I where am I naturally drawn to on a Sunday when I have free time? You know, where do I experience a loss of sensation of self where I lose myself in an activity? Where do I experience a loss of the concept of time where all of a sudden two hours pass, like us having this conversation? Anything that gives you that reward, a Young or Peterson would say, it's because that's tapping into an aspect of yourself that you must manifest, that that is your pathway to bliss. That takes a lot of self-awareness. It right? does. Like you it have does. to have a little bit of introspection and the ability to, to recognize these things, right? So that's why, uh, have you heard Peterson talk about the Mesopotamian god Marduk? No, so I, I, maybe. I, that name sounds familiar, but I can't. No, I don't know what you're saying. Basically, when all these tribes came together, they had all these different religions, and they had to kind of subsume all those religions into one. So it was kind of like a war of the gods. But what it really is is what do all these religions have in common? You know, what is superordinate to all these stories? And it basically came down to their savior figure was Marduk, who slayed the dragon of chaos. But what made him powerful was he had eyes that went all the way around his head and he spoke magic words, which means that back then they even realized, though they didn't articulate it, that the best path forward is to have the awareness to look in every direction and the ability to speak the truth. And that those two were the fundamental characteristics of the hero and savior. And then years later, the Egyptians have, you know, the god horse with the eye, that famous yeah. eye, yeah. the eye that is on the dollar bill in your wallet right now. It all represents attention. So can we hone the skill of attention 
to be aware of what we find meaningful and then as the hero would voluntarily do the difficult things in pursuit of that meaning and when you do that you fully integrate your personality and you become what you could be i like that that was a mouthful but man you nailed it um do you have any advice on like um sharpening the skill of attention is there something somebody meditate Meditate. There's no way around it. Like, we would you agree meditate. that it's it's more difficult than than maybe ever in human history to pay attention? Yes and no. So, yes, because there's never been so many distractions, and that's why I go out in nature because nothing's vying for your attention. The trees don't care. You're there. They're not trying to sell you some shampoo. You're just hanging out with them, <laughs> you know. But I, at the I don't same, think anybody's trying to sell me shampoo these days. Me neither. But at the same time, I do believe that. The world is, you know, our classroom and the things we experience is our curriculum. And there's no more important skill than the ability to pay attention, to control where one's attention goes. And we just have countless reps all around us now. So it's like it's never been harder to pay attention, but you've never had more exercise equipment right. in this big gym yeah, to dude. hone your attention skills. Yeah, you're hitting reps all day. Yeah. What, um, what, what role do you think fear plays in all this? I think in the same way you can use meaning to orient yourself in your life, you can use fear to orient yourself in your life because the fear is often the refusal of the call and it's telling you exactly where you need to go because the dragon possesses the gold or the virgin, whatever it might be, but the dragon and the gold are the same experience. You don't get gold without dragons. So, so I just got a tattoo like a week ago, right? Yeah. I got I got the dragon head with a dagger through it, mm-hmm. and and that like my tattoos all represent something very you know meaningful to me. Generally, like quotes that I fucking heard from you, <laughs> uh, and this one is you know the dragon with the dagger is the cave, it represents the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Yeah, and the the idea being you go in the cave, what's waiting for you? Dragon. The dragon's in there, right? But I don't know if you remember, we had this talk before my tattoo. I was kind of torn mm-hmm. because my problem was I'm, I'm deeply influenced by Eastern culture and yes. philosophy and martial arts. And and man, in the East, you wouldn't slay a dragon. A, a dragon is this is like mm-hmm. this important, beautiful thing, and you know it's like a you know it's like a guide and things like that. It's like magic. Mm-hmm. And your thing was. You know, whether you're putting a dagger in its head or not, the dragon is the same thing. In yes. fact, like the dragon and the gold, they're all the same. They represent the same thing. Yes. They're part of the same experience. And so why does every culture ever have a dragon myth? I, I heard Pearson mention this. It's like a combination of a few different things, right? Because the dragon is is part like serpentine, breathes fire, right? It, it's the cat, snake, bird. Yeah. So if you think of our ancestors when we were monkeys in trees, what were the things we were afraid of? The cats that ate us, the raptors that came down out of the sky and ate us, and the poisonous snakes. Yeah. So somehow in our infinite wisdom, we created an amalgam of all the predators to be like the meta predator, and the dragon represents that. So in the same way, right, I mean, to answer your question, you have to follow fear. Assuming like, yeah, don't drink bleach. Don't go out in traffic. But in your soul, the things that scare you a little bit, that represents the gold that you need. Like, dude, I'm doing Coach Brandon's wedding ceremony next weekend. Yeah. I still get nerves for all these things, you know? And part of me is incredibly honored to do it. Part of me doesn't want to because it's difficult. Yeah. But when I recognize a part of me that doesn't want to, it's like, oh, that's where the dragon yeah, is Yeah, but here's today. the thing. Why do you think you don't? What's that part of you? What is that part of you scared of? 
I guess you're fundamentally always afraid of loss of love or acceptance. Well, I think it's really due to failure, right? Yeah. Of yeah. performing poorly. Yeah. I think that's the value of fear. So, for example, like after 10 years off, I went and did a tournament. Yeah. For yeah. like no, no reason. All that, like, it's funny. I prepared as best as I can. And, but there was always, and I, I thought I would do well. I did okay. But, uh, like I said to my wife after, I was like, you know, I really wanted to win, but I didn't deserve to win. Like okay. these guys compete, you know, like five, six times a year and I haven't done it in 10 years. Like there's a big element of experience there. But I did it nonetheless because the thought of doing it was scary. Good for you. And, and then you think, why is it scary? It's not the combat. Like we fought in a fucking cage. Yeah. You know, like I I, I kind of quote unquote go to war every day in here, mm-hmm. like harder than the, the tournament was. Yeah. You're scared of the outcome. Yeah. You're scared of like like the effect it might have on your reputation, your persona, your psyche, like your, the illusion of, of who you think you are. That's it. it, who you think you are. It's are you on the side of who you are or are you on the side of who you could be? And to the degree that you are attached with who you are, you are afraid of jeopardizing that. It's scary, man. It's scary. But if you are attached with who you could be, if you identify with that Jungian self, then it's almost like nothing becomes scary anymore because I'm not going to be in this form for long. I'm going to go through as many deaths and rebirths as I can, and this is just the latest version of that. That's so that's so valuable because if you embrace the idea, like we're talking about the hero's journey, and I like that you were saying that jujitsu, it's almost like you get these these daily micro journeys every yeah. single day, mm-hmm. and and the key point is at the end of that hero's journey, whether it's overcoming your anxiety about your first class or like training with people who are way tougher than you, you're bringing back that that boon, that bounty mm-hmm. every single time. So the thought of, if you asked me when I was that blue belt mopping the mat with you mm-hmm. at you know 1.30 in the afternoon on, on South Broad Street in Hamilton, if you asked me that day to sign a lease and, and have three mats and yeah. be responsible for the rent and, and have six employees, yeah. I'd be like, hell no, I, I, I'm i not that guy. Yeah. But over the next eight years, what did I do? Every single chance I got, for the most part, I mm-hmm. cowered at times, but I tried to expand my circle a yes. little bit every single time. And every time you do that, you come back with a couple extra tools mm-hmm. to make you more capable of facing the ne- next call to adventure. I think there are, pr- there are probably really only two skills we need when we talk about the hero's journey. And it's the ability to pay attention to meaning. It's the ability to orient. And then it's the ability to just go do the thing that you don't want to do, you know, and you have done that over the last however long it's been over and over and over. And it's almost like each mini hero's journey. Yeah, you're acquiring some new boon and you're bringing it home, but it's almost like you're just training the skill to do the difficult thing. Right. And if you can have the capacity to do a lot of difficult things and if they can be cumulative in that there's compound interest because they're all headed in the same direction, that's when you do something like you've done, which is build the school. Right. Know? Yeah, it's exponential. Yeah. Um, I might be jumping way too far ahead, and you, we could go ever, wherever you want. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've had this conversation over the last few years a few different times. In, in you know, judging by, like, um, the expectation of that blue belt, me, that we are talking about, mm-hmm. we are wildly, wildly successful, yes. far beyond anything that that blue belt Yes. Maybe definitely I hoped for it, but did I really expect it? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Way beyond that. And you would think that now it's time to, you know, bask in the glory of what we did and yeah. just, you know, be happy and rest on our laurels. Mm-hmm. 
but every three months or so, I call you with what <laughs> what issue. Not Existential that it's, frustration yeah, of what's not, the next challenge. Not that it's not enough. I never want to give that off. I am one of the most fulfilled, yeah. happy, content people. Not content. That's the wrong word. Mm-hmm. I'm happy but not content. Mm-hmm. Because there's, an, I think there's inherent, you know, there's like an inherent part of you. I don't know if it's primal. Maybe, I don't know why. Maybe you have some insight that you just can't be stagnant. Like stagnant is this very uncomfortable feeling. Well, I think there's two things, right? So your your sensation of positive emotion comes more from moving toward a goal than it does from achieving a goal. So you're saying like an actual that. chemical. Chemical. The, the, the systems in your body. Now you're start, starting to sound like Tony Robbins. Well, that, that gets to the next part. Yeah. yeah. So the systems in your body require movement forward toward a compelling future. It's... That's where your positive emotion comes from, which makes sense, right? Like think of our ancestors. If there was an apple tree that we saw off in the distance, and you had to hike there. You know, you got to hike there. Right. So as you get closer and closer, you get these little hits of dopamine, like keep going, dude. You're doing it. You're doing it. And then you eat the apple and it tastes great for a second. But then as soon as the apple's done, it's now what? Yeah. I think, and I think I see a banana tree. Yeah. And if you have a value system, and we always have a value system where things are better or worse, which are always in accordance with a goal. That means there's always something better to go do in accordance with your goal. But then a Tony Robbins side would just say, that's the fundamental nature of life is growth or decay. And if you're not growing, you're dying. And it's a platitude, but like if you have the ears to hear it, you're not just growing physically because, you know, we know that once you reach the halfway point, the sun starts to set, your body starts to decay and it goes away. But I believe that psychologically, you never stop growing until you die. There are different life zones, but that growth is endless. So think about the the weight of what you just said, though, and the mm-hmm. unfortunate truth that the vast majority of people you know mm-hmm. are not active, actively pursuing growth. So, dude, I'm with you, and we've had this conversation a lot, and that's where, like, I bring in a Ram Dass who he tells a story about, you know, some people aren't supposed to wake up this life, and he uses the metaphor of, Imagine there's a mountain six miles high, six miles wide, six miles deep, and every hundred years, a dove flies over it with a scarf in its mouth, and the scarf brushes the mountain. And in the time it takes for that mountain to wear away, that's how long your soul has been at this. <laughs> so maybe you're not supposed to get it in this life, yeah. you know? And, and that, I kind of used to, when I was like in my 20s and more of like an aggressive Western mindset was like, you know, no, you, you, it's a matter of will, you know, you conquer this thing. But I, I yeah, don't we, think we it talked is. about you yesterday on the podcast, as we always do. But we were talking about, well, we got into the weeds a little bit in terms of like personal responsibility, yeah, right, and like taking action and and not just shaming people, but addressing the fact that like anything else, it's a skill that mm-hmm. you got to start somewhere, right? Um, to develop will that that will is is like a muscle that you can strengthen, yeah. But some people are born just with st- stronger wills, and yeah. like I talked about how. My mom tells a story when I was born, when when my brother was born, my older brother Jared, and I talked about him yesterday. You know, he's a junkie, he's been in and out of treatment, never had a real job. Mm. Um, great person, I love him to death, but life has been difficult for him, and yeah. you would never think because he's good looking, he's jacked, like you know, he's got a lot going for funny. He was always the cool kid, mm-hmm. um, but life was just always hard. And he, my mom says, the day he was like in the delivery room, you could just see it. He comes out, and it's like he was looking around, like, what the fuck. Where am I? Put me back. This is, I don't like it. Yeah. And, and just, he never shook that. Like he was always just kind of like, this is too much, man. Too much. Yeah. Um, 
And then she says, I come out. And I look around. I'm like, huh. Oh, this is the world. I'll play this game. Yeah. What's yeah. next? Let's yeah. go. And I don't think I have the iron will that you do. But I, I was I, I cannot complain with the hand I was dealt. Yeah. Like, I, I've seen some weaknesses I've had over the years. And I think naturally, inherently, I had the ability to confront that head on. Yes. Also, I've done a lot in my life to condition myself to handle these negative things, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's stress it's, inoculation. Yeah, it's not I don't think anybody's born with enough willpower to handle a lifetime of like negative things coming at you. But but you you have to invest in the bank account of willpower. Yeah. And that's where I think to complement the willpower that you are given that you can train. I do believe that say a philosophy is your soul's immune system. And that's where I've talk about pursuing meaning like bro i'm obsessed with everything carl young and jordan peterson are talking about like obsessed and i can't control that it's just like i have to understand it's it 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 speaks to you You, it resonates with you deeply deeply so real quick before you get any deeper into peterson Mm -hmm. for some reason there's a lot of negative like uh like stuff going around him i i don't get it i'm not really sure I don't know if maybe one of the reasons is that his adherence to traditional philosophies mm-hmm. and like, I don't know, extolling the, the values of, of traditional religions. I, that's like a negative thing these days, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, but talk a little bit about that, dude. Like the, the value of, of these traditions that are already laid out before us and have been for millennia yeah. that are easily poo-pooed. For obvious reasons, like you know, it seems like witchcraft and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But what's the value in adhering to a philosophy or tradition that's been around for so long? It's been around for so long because it worked. So yeah. if you view all, all through a Darwinian lens, you know, survival of the fittest, and then you think about the idea that the same holds true for ideas, that the fittest idea survives over time. And then you look at what a religion is, which is a culture's attempt to communicate behavioral wisdom. So then it's like, okay, well, how did that wisdom get compartmentalized into this story? So it's like we observe our people and we see someone being successful. And then we attribute characteristics to that person as that's the hero figure. And then you get enough cultures together and you take all of those heroes and then you look at, well, what do they all have in common? That's a meta hero. And then you, in order to, because remember, we didn't have the written word. We didn't have podcasts. So in order to communicate to the next generation what is the proper way to act, you tell it in story centered around a hero. You do that long enough, that becomes a religion. And now think about how most of the tradition is oratory and it's extended for thousands of years only the worthwhile parts of the story stick. Now, for the most part, none of these people understand consciously and can articulate semantically what the most important part of the story is. Yeah, and that's the big problem, and that's the value of a guy like Jordan Peterson. That is where only after religion comes a science, whether it's a material science or a philosopher, that stands on the foundation of religion and semantically describes what we've been doing this whole time that we weren't consciously aware we were doing. But all of the religious stories possess behavioral wisdom as to this is the, it's no guarantee, but this is your best shot right? if you act in this way. And the funny thing is, listening to that, you would, if I didn't know you, I'd be like, oh, this guy's just like a religious fanatic. 
Yeah. Which is, that's crazy. Cause that's not the case. <laughs> it's yeah. not the case, but, but I'm just, I'm glad that a guy like, you know, Jordan Peterson can articulate these things because yeah. I think one of the best things he's doing is he's revealing the wisdom in these compelling stories yes. that like you said, for something to pass on without the written language, it better be a friggin' compelling story. Yes. There better yeah. be some like cool stuff happening and some like uh, hyperbole and exaggeration, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but we're, man, like he's dissecting this for us. He is. And really, we're all cells in the human organism. He's an organ, you know, he is yeah. a force multiplier. And it's important. And what he, because, you know, he was heavily influenced by, you know, young Nietzsche. And Nietzsche, remember, I, I don't remember the exact dates. It was probably like late 1800s. He said, God is dead and we killed him. And people interpret that as like triumph, like, you know, we, we've logically transcended Christianity. And he was like, no, that's not it. You have killed your own myth. And the only thing that can take its place for meaning is either nihilism, which is no meaning, right. or sort of a I, identification with the state, like a totalitarianism. And 30 years later, right. we see what happens with all the world wars. Like he predicted that as an experience of we've lost our religious myth. We can't come up with anything better. We're going to replace it with something far worse. Far worse. So a Peterson comes out, and there's never been a more secular culture than right now. And he's like, we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You view religion through a scientific lens when we could be viewing it through a psychological lens. And right. here's the truth, whether it's historical or not. Here's the truth that pertains to your daily experience as far as how to act. That's a... That's profound. That's big. Yeah. The value of uh, like principles, code of conduct, mm -hmm. virtues. We talked about this like a couple months ago. I was reading. I forget what I was reading, but it but it reminded me of reading uh, uh, that biography on Benjamin Franklin, how he actively pursued like virtues and yeah. attaining and sharpening the skills of these certain virtues where. You know, a lot of modern living is done through avoiding committing, like, quote-unquote, sins. Yeah. And, like, like uh, acting, like, with morality. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, judging actions based on whether or not they're moral. Yeah. And that's a very passive way to live your, like, to live your life in terms of your character, right? Mm -hmm. Where Benjamin Franklin's approach, he got from, you know, like... I don't know if he got it from the Stoics per se, but he got it from like ancient Greece mm -hmm. where they had a, a much more active role in pursuing character development, which they had a list of virtues yeah. and they, they actively tried to do things every day in the vein of these virtues. Yeah. Right. So instead mm -hmm. of like sitting back and like, Hmm, did I do this with morality? No, you're actively trying to do things that are going to make you a better person and make your life more fulfilling. They're skills. They're skills that are trained. And just how you have a curriculum in jujitsu of we're working on clothes guard this week. He was working. I'm working on humility this week. Dude, you know what I want to do? My, I, I'm curious to hear your opinion on this. So mm -hmm. everybody here knows that I come from like a karate background, a kung fu background. I taught, you know, traditional martial arts. Mm -hmm. Then I got into jujitsu, fell in love, and here we are. But that influence is never going to go away. It's yeah. always going to be a part of me. And you can see it. Like, we don't we're not stifling here, but we've got structure. I mean, like yeah. we're a very structured place. Um, and we'll never lose like the bow. We'll never lose the uniform policy. Yes. And, and all these like, you know, Eastern influences that I really like, but I'm, I, I would love to implement things that I thought were powerful coming up in karate, like, mm -hmm. like reciting the student creed in the adult class or yeah. reciting 
um, like the principles of black belt excellence. Yeah. They're just virtues. And we literally end class, like as an adult, like you're standing there and you know, he's surrounded by 30 adults, like yeah. normal members of nobody that's corny. Yeah. And we, you know, we're dedicated to the principles of black belt, honesty, integrity, humility, courtesy, perseverance, and you know, all these things. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? You think is that, is that too corny for us jujitsu folk? Is that something these people would scoff at? Because I know there's value in it. I, there's definitely value. And I think you struggle to remember what you don't understand. And you struggle to remember what you don't articulate on a regular basis. Yes. you got to be able to speak the language. If you can take the esoteric parts of jiu-jitsu and turn it into a formulated, you know, bullet-by-bullet structure of this is what we're doing here, I think that serves everybody. I think it does. And at the risk of looking foolish or corny like eventually that's going to be standard practice right i'm sure how this is going to go down is you're going to do it and be like yeah it's really good a year later i'll do it you know like i finally (laughs) did the student creed for our kids oh it's powerful oh my god each time so it goes as a student of matakas jiu-jitsu i seek to develop strength and kindness and to grow so i have more to give that's cool and when you hear a six-year-old kid belt that out bro chills because it's like is there anything better to orient a child toward than to develop strength and kindness so they can grow and have more to give. No, and then you use that as a way to go a little bit deeper and explain to them what it means. And then before you know it, you have 105-year-olds who could describe and articulate what the hell that means. Dude, in my 6- to 12-year-old class yesterday, we were talking about what it means to kill the monster when it's small. (laughs) Like, dude, like the opportunity that you give children to have access to these ideas and play around with them and then... They will present them, present themselves to them throughout their life at a young age, and they're going to become aware of it. They're going to be. They'll have an understanding of yeah. it, an awareness. So, man, what a good. Without even realizing, that's like a perfect segue, dude. So, Peterson breaking down religious concepts into just like a way of living your life yeah. and orienting yourself properly. We're doing that for people on the mat every single day. So, yeah. you know, we are living in a very secular world, which. You know, I'm an atheist, I guess. I don't I don't know. I don't really, you know, obviously I don't adhere to any kind of, I don't know, mainstream religion. We went for pre-Cana. This was many years ago, and I, I was an asshole at the time, but we went to pre-Cana, which is you got to do this. Do you know, did you have to do that? I had something similar, but not that. We had to do like this eight-hour course yeah. at the church to get married in a Catholic Oh, no, church. we didn't do any of that. No. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy was like the most hateful. I remember you telling me about that. I almost got up and left. (laughs) You know, he's like, you don't, nobody here believes in gay marriage or else you wouldn't be here. I'm like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. This guy's not telling me what I believe. Yeah. But anyway, like you had to write like uh, info about yourself and under religion, I just put Buddhist. Yeah. Because at the time I was like reading Buddha. I didn't fucking know. But uh, when you come here, most people do live these secular lives. And Mm -hmm. most people, they don't really have like an aim. They don't have a North Star. They don't really have like uh, a working knowledge of how to develop their own personal character. Yeah. Think about what we're doing for people when they come in here. Even if, even if you are, let's take like your stereotypical, like Brazilian national champion black belt who moved to San Diego, mm. barely speaks the language, can't really, you know, uh, communicate very strongly with a group of Americans. Mm-hmm. Even if he doesn't say a friggin' word about honesty, integrity, humility, courtesy, or any of these things, or perseverance, indomitable spirit, mm-hmm. he doesn't have to say that. He doesn't have to say much, but just from the nature of teaching jujitsu over the course of a year, yeah. these people are going to develop these skills. Yes. Yeah. Which, 
You know, that's also something to be said because I remember you and I always went back and forth as to like, you know, should we be giving end of class speeches where we're talking about different things? And I remember you went through a phase where it was like, the jiu-jitsu is going to take care of it. I don't need to do it. It does all the heavy lifting. I kind of came back on that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I I think we're always going to oscillate like a pendulum swinging. Um, I think there's tremendous value in articulating what's happening. But then also, right, remember the idea of the patience of personal development. It's like, I know the stuff's happening. So... You know, maybe we don't need to try to accelerate it. It's going to happen to the at the speed it needs to for each student. Yeah. So where I'm at, I do oscillate on it, but mm-hmm. it was I went from having like homework assignments for like character development, which I think you might still be doing, which yeah. is cool. I like it. We did have a good time with it, and uh, always having that that nagging feeling that there's more I could do yeah. to like direct their character development. Yeah. To not saying anything at the end of the class, just all right. Let's train hard. Yeah. And that's that's the speech. Let's train hard because yeah. that's where you're going to uncover things. But now the more I think about it, they need to at least be able to articulate what the hell they're experiencing. And yes. the more I can speak the language of personal development and character development, um, especially like a, we need to speak the same language, mm-hmm. right? Because everything we do here is developing and strengthening the tribe. Yes. And I want us to have the strongest possible tribe you know, that, that I can develop. Yeah. And a big part of that is us using the same words, yeah, you know, 100%. saying the same phrases yeah, and being able to explain. And like, how, it makes it easy. The barrier of entry for friends and family to come and train when they, they can hear somebody talk about what the hell's happening on the mat, mm-hmm. other than we do our bars and shit. It's so cool. <laughs> it's just, it makes this a better place. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's what you're realizing is that one of the values of this podcast is that it's, having extended conversations that you cannot have on the mat after yeah. class when you have one minute because these things require and deserve appropriate duration. So this can kind of become your off-the-mat mat chat that yeah. your students can listen to on the way to work. Well, one yeah. of the downsides of, of growth is, what what is it, Dunbar's number? Dunbar's number, 150. What yeah. do you think of that? You have a friggin' photographic memory. I think it's true. Really? So you've put it to the test? When we, because before COVID, when we had 150 students, like I remember the day when it was like, I can't, I can't remember <laughs> this person's name and who is this new person. And then I hit up Trev. I was like, how many students do we have? And it was like right when we got to one. Yeah, it was something <laughs> absurd. And it's true. You know, you, you can only have so many strong ties. And right. dude, how many students are in your school right now? Three, three thirty, three thirty-five. Absurd, right? Yeah. So that's where, because you have six instructors, you follow the hierarchy of like a military of distributing leadership. Yeah, and you do your best to have someone you've touched touch someone you've never met, you which, which we do extremely well. And yeah. one of the things that look, you're, you're going to learn what to do or what not to do. Mm-hmm. And we've let's be, you might disagree, but we've had the opportunity to to see what not to do oftentimes. Yeah. And that's not to put down our instructor, but he was the one blazing the, the path through mm-hmm. the woods. And he was the one who you know took the brunt of having to make mistakes for us. Mm-hmm. I think one of the mistakes early on was people were, they tried to stop clicks from forming. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do the opposite. I encourage clicks here. I want yeah. people to, to have like their little groups. Yeah. I want them to be communicating separately inside chats. I want yeah. them to have their inside jokes. Yeah. I want them to have their fav- favorite uh, training partners and things like yeah. that. Like, why would I want to do that? Because that click, this is where they, they belong. They know that they're part of the group. They're just their own group within the group. Yeah. And then 
all I have to do now is influence one member of that clique and the influence spreads. Exactly. It would be sort of uh, untruthful to discourage cliques when we, the most dude, important we had part the, of our relationship was ours. Dude, my, all my students can say purple circle. Yeah. They all know yeah. what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah. They think it's corny as hell and they're right. <laughs> Stupidest name ever. I think Max came up with that. Yeah. It's got to yeah. be Max. I think so. Um, but yeah, dude, there's, there's value in that. And right? especially after the last year where we've realized nothing's more important than community. If you can have multiple communities within one community, you're meeting a lot of needs. Right. You know, that's paramount. I would never get in the way of human connection, you know? Yeah. One of the, for some reason, dude, I don't know if you've ever heard this come up, somebody accusing jujitsu guys of being like in a cult. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Would you say that there's such thing as a, a good cult? I, if the, you're going to be in a... How do you define cult? Right. Right. Exactly. Like, if you're going to be in a... In like a group of, of strong-minded, like-minded people, this is the one to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Who have a shared ethic, who have a modus operandi for how we're going to act in the world, uh, who have a place of worship. I mean, if you think about like the three components of religion, there's the the teaching, the teacher, and the community. And that's one of the reasons why jujitsu is so helpful. The, you've got the Dharma, you know, you've got the Buddha, you've got the Sangha. The Sangha is the community. You need all three aspects. And we have the teaching, so we've got that part down. You have the instructors, you know, so you've got the teacher. But you need a group of peers to go on the journey with to bounce ideas off each other. Like Peterson says, like, we outsource sanity. That you need the group, right, to kind of play catch with and figure out what it is (laughs) you're supposed to be. And we need that. Especially, I remember... When I really realized the value of investing in teammates was like, I think it was me, you, and Rob. And I remember I wasn't at class one day. And then that next day, you guys showed me what we learned the previous day. And it was like, I've outsourced my education through building deep relationships with you guys that you weren't going to let me not have access to the information I missed. And without that, that, we made made such a strong relationship that... If you had missed the training session, we're eagerly awaiting your return yeah. to happily show you. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like you have to come seeking it. Like, yeah. you, you were an extension of us. And we talked about that a lot. Like, no man left behind. Yeah. And it's part of it is selfish altruism. You know, it's just I know that the environment determines what I'm going to become. So I have the personal responsibility to build the best environment. So I need Pete to be as good as he can be. I need Rob to be as good as he can be. Because then that's going to be the soil that I get to grow in. So even if you're not feeling altruistic and loving your partners, you do it because it's the best thing for you. Yeah, like selfishly help the people around you. Yeah. What, um, what do you think people can do to get the most out of this experience? Out of the jiu-jitsu experience? I know you probably want to go with the life experience, but yeah, no, like coming to, the, coming to the school. Because look, you can just show up yeah. and you don't have to think about any of these things. You don't have to think about personal growth and no. literally you could show up and just try to learn the friggin' techniques, train a little bit and go home. Yeah. And you're going to get a lot of that runoff benefit. Like your life is going to change. Yes. Yeah. But you're leaving so much on the table. I think, mm-hmm. I think we left a lot on the table, mm-hmm. like the purple circle. Mm-hmm. Like I think there was, there was just, too, there were too many years where we were just fucking killing each other. Oh, which is there's value. one dimension. Look, I yeah. love it. Yeah. Like, I love it. I wouldn't recommend that prescription. No, dude, look at us. Yeah. Our tits fell off. Like, we're, yeah. we're falling apart. Yeah. But um, 
I'm glad. Like, I like where we are now. I want to trade it. No, it was a great experience. But I just wonder if we could jump in a fucking DeLorean right now and punch <laughs> it to 88. Like, what would we say to, to and like, say we go back to 2000 and what, nine? Mm-hmm. What would we say to that group of guys? What would I say? It would be, yo, drill way more drill. than you do live Practice. training. It Practice would be more. make yourself take a day off each week. It would be have freaking patience. This takes time. Yeah. I used to, luckily, when you train multiple times a day, if you have a bad training session, I would like chastise myself and be angry and upset. Yeah. But then I got to train three hours later and rectify it. But like, I viewed shame as a fuel source as opposed to just love and appreciation for the craft. But I would I would tell myself and current white belts to slow down. It's going to happen when it needs to happen. Just put the mat time in. So if we think about production versus production capacity, it's how can I get as many mat hours as possible over the arc of my life if this is going to be the vehicle I use to develop myself. Right. And if it is going to be, it needs to be sustainable. We just went right for production. It's like I'm going to train as much as I possibly can until something bad happens. Not, not only as much as I can, as hard as I can. Yeah. I, think, I think it's a little bit easier in, in today's world to focus more on like attaining skill, like mm-hmm. like getting like just acquiring knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, look, like the best guys in the world literally are putting out DVDs every every weekend with all their secrets or whatever. Yeah. When we were do- coming up, that that wasn't the case. Like no. I remember we'd sit on the mat with Ricardo and he'd watch videotapes from like the world and translate it for yeah, us. Yeah, and like yeah. he'd rewind it a few times and of course it'd just be in his brain and his body forever now. Yeah. And uh, we would have to spend the next three, four months learning it. Yeah. Like, remember learning like the the re, like the Barambola. I remember when Professor came back from California and he was showing me and Max. And I remember thinking, I'm never gonna understand this, but I'm gonna do it because I have a great teacher who's trying to help me, and I'm gonna honor that attention. <laughs> yeah. And then that became my game. Yeah. You know. So Dude, that's all we, we just we Barambola for five years. Yeah. I remember he was teaching us the um, the Kiss of the Dragon. I missed what it. What is Kiss of the Dragon? Which one is that? Your, it was your game for three years. Oh, the spin reverse, on the yeah, reverse yeah, okay. Delhi even spinning on their knees. Yeah, I, I didn't know it was Kiss of the Dragon until like six months ago. Okay, uh, what do we call it? Just the reverse Delhi back take. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I remember you were showing it to me. I like missed that instructor training. I was like, this is fucking gibberish. This is like <laughs> now I have like the six year olds are doing it. You know, yeah. it's funny how that works. Yeah. But I do think that we spent. I don't think we misused our time. We we purposefully you we directed all of our energy into accomplishing one thing. The only the problem is I don't think what we were trying to accomplish was to get as good at jujitsu. We as weren't we could. pursuing just jujitsu. I think karmically that was the exact experience we needed to have. You know what it is, dude? We got a kick out of it. Yeah. We got a kick out of like being samurai. Yeah. yeah. You know, like fighting super hard and like just getting after it and in our 20s, you know, that was a, it was a, we needed to be an apprentice and it was like, that's something worth being an apprentice in. Yeah. And dude, and you know, Ricardo, when we were really coming into it, Ricardo was still fighting. Yeah. Like he, he was in a second run in the UFC and mm-hmm. you know, that was our teacher. We would have like ran into a burning building. Yeah. Um, I still get a kick out of it, man. Like I still love going hard. Mm-hmm. It definitely takes like a little bit more of a toll. Yeah. But uh, I have... A lot more enjoyment in like putting the magnifying glass on technique now. Oh yeah, that's so much fun. Back then, it yeah. wasn't that much. It wasn't like it was we like just, maybe we should get to Randori. Maybe we weren't, weren't good at it yet. I don't know, man. I, I don't think we had a sophisticated enough lens that's to it. view it with excitement, right? You know, yeah, but, dude. You stand on the shoulders of giants, and like the generation now, it's just like 
they're students of jujitsu. Yeah. Rather than athletes of jujitsu. Yeah. You know. But again, I think I I would not recommend that path unless that's the path you're supposed to be on. And for us, it was the path that we needed. I want to be clear too. Um, sometimes I think we spend so much time discouraging that. Yeah. Yeah. And like we make it th- seem like that's not on the table. That mm-hmm. is an option. Yeah. And like. Some people, that's the best route for you, like you're kind of saying. Yeah. And for some people, like you do have to understand your goal. Like if your goal is to be in like Abu Dhabi, you're going to have to get to work. Yeah, dude. <laughs> you better like be grinding every yeah. single day. Like you should not be comfortable for the rest of your life, really. Yeah. Um, well, that's a great way to put that. That ties this whole thing together is that we are goal-oriented creatures. And whatever your goal is, that determines the positive and negative valence of things, like what the value is of those things. So the more you can single-mindedly know what your goal is, you can very quickly determine, is this on behalf of my goal or is this an obstacle to my goal? Yeah. And if your goal is, I'm um, 43, I've got two kids and jiu-jitsu's fun, it's helping me with my cholesterol, then you don't and shouldn't train like that. It's You train so that when you go back home to your family, you have more to give them. Yeah. And that is not death matches all day where you have no energy to play with your kids. If you're 20 years old, you have no call to responsibility, you found this meaningful thing, you have no responsibilities, you are ready to be an apprentice and take all of your potential and manifest it fully into one thing, then freaking go do that thing. Get after it. Yeah, yeah. But it's honestly knowing what you're aiming at and then acting accordingly. Yeah, dude, that, that kind of goes back to, what was it, your first book and your overall philosophy of the benefit of jiu-jitsu, that jiu-jitsu is a vehicle, not the road. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's a raft. That, but for some people, it is. Like, for dude, the very unless, select your, few, yeah. it's like, it is the road, right? For, like, a handful of people in the world. It is, but then even that, I would argue, like, let's say you were a full-time jiu-jitsu guy and you worked 40 hours a week at jiu-jitsu. What is that? It's still only, what, a third of your life or something? Yeah. Uh, how many weeks? 24, 7, 140, what, 168 hours in a week? So a quarter of your, of like your week guy, is Like jiu-jitsu. a guy like Gordon. Yeah. So still, that's only a quarter of his life. Yeah. You still got a lot else going on. Right. At least he should. If that's his path. Maybe he's shown it, right? There are some people that are coming into this world, and like Tom Brady almost seems to be one of them, despite all of his other achievements, where it's like, this is what I'm here to do. And this is all I'm going to pursue. Everything else is subordinate to this. And that's a beautiful thing. If you are an outlier, whether as an artist or in your profession or whatever it might be, and that's your greatest path through life, then by all do means, it. By all means, be consumed by it. Statistically, that, you're probably not you're that not, person. You're not. You would, yeah. there, there'd be no disputing it. There'd be no wondering and pondering. You would know. You would know. Yeah, there isn't a conversation. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm very upfront. I'm not that guy. Neither but, I was and I'm not. Yeah. I mean, I even even when I was the deepest into the jujitsu lifestyle, it was always, you know, I'm very influenced by like samurai culture, and mm-hmm. it was just that was one aspect of living. It was never like my like you know end all be all of my existence. And I like I said yesterday on the podcast, I've got a lot of students, a lot of them who are way deeper into the jujitsu lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Than I am, but that's yeah. by design. That's on purpose. Like there are other things that I I love and I want to pursue. Yes, you know, and uh, like if we're gonna bring it back to the uh, the hero's journey, I'm always gonna have that with jujitsu. Like it's some it's part of being hurt is kind of like the excitement of coming back. Yeah, 
right? Like it is exciting to get back into it. You know what I'm excited about? Smashing people. Yeah. yeah. Not like beating them up, but like I like showing up to 1030 and watching all the high level guys, the young guys getting ready for Abu Dhabi, mm. inverting and all and doing. I'm excited to come back and just smash them. Good for you. Like I want to yeah. squeeze them and make their knees touch and cross face them. Because before I got hurt, I was doing that. I was spinning around I was going after the legs. And it's, it's, I'm excited for the cycle to kind of restart, right? Mm -hmm. But I need bigger, further reaching, overarching heroes journeys. Mm -hmm. I need to like, there's only so much that growing the school will give me, right? Yeah. It's, it's only so challenging. Mm -hmm. You know, like looking at buildings. Terrifying. There's a lot going on, dude. Yeah. That that's huge. That's something to pursue. Yeah. Woodworking, you yeah, know, like bro. building stuff. Like that's so hard. It's frustrating. It, it's, and then putting it out there, like building furniture for somebody. Mm -hmm. and now they're paying me for it. That's a terrifying thing. Yeah. Like yeah. you know, the point being, like this whole podcast was all about the hero's journey, and the I think the big thing to take away from it is like that's where you really derive meaning. Yes. Right? Like, that's yes. where, like, you have your fulfillment from. Yeah. And I think it's easy to disparage your own journey when you compare it to the journey of others. And that's why social media is so detrimental to all of our well-being. Yeah. Because you get a fake persona that is better than it really is. And they're on a different path, pursuing a different goal than you are. But just by the nature of the filters, it's, oh, that's better than my path. And whether you are pursuing Abu Dhabi or you are trying to lose 20 pounds so you can play with your kid when you're 50. Neither one is more heroic or noble. Like for each soul, and that that's where, you know, I, I'm heavily influenced by a lot of Eastern ideas. And I kind of feel like we're all we're we're all souls, and this is our curriculum, and we're gonna experience things that bring us closer to God. But said in a different way, I think we're all kind of the same thing. Whatever consciousness is, it's the same. And it's just we're experiencing it in different forms. And like they would say that you chose to incarnate in this body because you wanted to have this experience. And I really view when I see people, when I'm at my best, I don't see, you know, 30-something male, works here, has these kids. I see a soul. Yeah. And no soul, no soul's path is more noble than any others. They're just different manifestations of the one journey that I think we're all on. And I think you're you and I'm me. Yeah. You know? I like uh, I like that story you talk about Ram Das, like when he looks in the guy's eyes. <laughs> do, do you want to tell it? Uh, right. So Ram Das was the guy that, uh, for those who don't know, he taught at Harvard, taught psychology, came up with Timothy Leary. Right? Yeah, a lot of LSD experiments. Got fired from Harvard. He went to India to find a guru. He found one. He came back and he popularized Eastern teachings and. Really, within that, it was pretty much like his whole thing was we're all just walking each other home. Yeah. That we're all souls here to learn a lesson to bring us closer to God. And that when he was in his clearer moments, like he would view it as when we see people, we judge them. You're too tall. You're too short. You're too this. But when you go off in nature, you don't judge the tree that's crooked or bent a certain way. It's just, oh, that's a cool tree. Yeah. Oh, that's a cool tree. So he viewed people as trees. Like, oh, that's a cool person. That's a cool person. But then when he saw more clearly that like, oh, that's just a soul behind those eyes. And it's like, wait, you're in there? I'm in here. How'd you get into that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, I guess that's like the goal, man. Like seeing seeing somebody else is just like you in a different body, right? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I like about that jujitsu's done for me, I fall victim to everything, mm -hmm. right? 
Um, but luckily, the lifestyle we've lived gives, gives me the tools to kind of recognize and pull myself out of it sometimes. Yeah. But if you look at jujitsu, like I'm not a world champion. You know, I'm not Marcelo Garcia. I'm not Gordon Ryan. I'm not any of these guys. But just because I'll never be Marcelo Garcia does not mean I can't do jujitsu. Yes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And just because most of my students won't even be me mm -hmm. does not mean they should not do jujitsu. Yeah. Apply that to any area of your life. Like just because I'm not going to be Brian Colonna, <laughs> real estate magnate of South Jersey, That's doesn't right. mean that I shouldn't pursue maybe investing in a property, even yeah. though it's it's only a, a fraction of what he's doing. Mm -hmm. you, you just learn to forgive yourself for your shortcomings. And then you learn to applaud yourself for, for your strength. And then to realize that they're the same thing, that your, your strengths, strengths and, weaknesses. and weaknesses are the polar aspects of who you are, that you cannot be strong without your weaknesses. Like you described my will, right, which would be one of my strengths, but that's also a tremendous weakness for me, say, in my intimate relationship. It's, God bless Amber, it's got to be really hard to be my partner, you know? They're always aspects of the same thing. In the same way the dragon and the gold are the same thing. It's just that's your particular experience and curriculum. And it's interesting that creatively, like all your pursuits tend to be centered around creativity. You can only have creativity with limitation. That's why the genie is in the bottle. You know, like that's the only way it works, that you need to be restricted in a way that will force you to, in a novel way, act differently. That's why games have rules. That's why chess has rules. If all the pieces could do whatever they wanted, it wouldn't be a fun game. You need Chaos. restriction. So I almost think our weaknesses are the restriction, which is a gift that allows us to play the unique game of being ourselves. Ah, I see. So you're not flexible, so you become more cunning. Or you're yeah. not very strong, so you have to have sharper skill. Yeah, or maybe you're, you know, you have a lot of social awkwardness and you don't feel comfortable and you have anxiety, but because of that, you've developed a tremendous relationship with yourself or with nature. It's all part of the same thing. And in the same way, the larger community will view, say politically, they will view only the positive aspects of culture or only the negative aspects of culture. And that is a, you know, these ideologues that they only expound on, this is the negative part of culture, ignoring the tremendous benefit it serves all of us. In the same way we do that as individuals to ourselves, where we chastise that negative part of ourselves and we hate it without realizing that that's just fundamentally the way we were built to play this game and the strength that you're so proud of, it's just the same, what would it be? It's the same characteristic expressed on the flip side of the coin, the heads and tails. It's funny, <laughs> just so people know, you, you know, that was awesome. But 10 years ago, you would just be like, we play with the gifts that gods give us. Yeah. It's funny to see how much you've grown over the last like 10 years, right? Yeah, right. It's funny, I mean, you know, tell everybody real briefly, like your, your kind of journey. Like when I first met you, you were like a pretty quiet, reserved guy. You were mm -hmm. still kind of in the afterthrows of your young existentialism, right? Yeah. Like you were yeah. seeking. Yeah. yeah. And then you kind of went off on like these different deep journeys into what? Seeking what? I pursued what was meaningful and that changed as my lens changed. So yeah, right, I graduated college. I recognized I was still a boy. I was in the real world, but I didn't feel ready for the real world. I needed a rite of passage. I took an intro lesson in jiu-jitsu like a week later, and I recognized this is a problem worth solving. This is going to challenge me in ways I need to be challenged. 
at the exact same time, I started really studying, like academically, trying to understand what the hell are we all doing here. And when we began jujitsu together, it was a lot of Eastern teachings. It made sense, a lot of non-attachment, a lot of presence. But then that evolved, right, from Eastern teachings to Western philosophy to religion to psychology. And in my arc of pursuing jujitsu as a vehicle for personal development, I also pursued, call it academia, as a pursuit of understanding myself. And the jujitsu and the books walked hand in hand. Right. Um, and then that all sort of, you know, I had achieved my goal of I was a, the head instructor for Professor's Newtown School. And I was like, this is all I want to do. I'm good. And then you get there and you're like, wait, there's more to life. And then when I was 29, I went away on a solo road trip, which was the best summer of my life. And I sort of had my own rite of passage that I needed to create. And I realized, okay, I'm here to serve people. It's time to put down some anchors because I avoided anchors at all costs. Wait, real quick, yeah. when you, I don't remember, when you went off... What what triggered that? What was the tearing the peck the first time? It that's was, why you went off. I was like, I think it was something like I was a brown or black belt, and I hadn't competed in a while, and I was doing really well in training, and I still had that itch of like, you should be a freaking world champion. It's yeah. possible. You should be doing this. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna pursue it. So I started working out again, and then like seven weeks later, I tore my peck, and I remember right like bar dropped. As I was sitting up off the bench, I looked up at the sky and was like. All right, God, I got the message. I know this isn't my path. This isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. I get it. Um, and when you get the message, hang up the phone, right? So that happened and call it like August, September or something. I remember telling professor like, dude, I got to reassess. Next summer, I'm out of here. I got to go. So we had Rob's wedding. Mm-hmm. And I officiated that, and I left like the next day. Yeah, I remember that. we were outside talking about it right before you left. Yeah, and my and only Melissa was very, very pregnant. Yeah, yeah. And she popped like a week later. I remember that because I remember you. I called you, or you called me, and it was the for some reason I had my phone on me, and it was the only place I had service in the Redwood Forest. Yeah, and that was just like mesmerizing. Like your brain can't comprehend the size of these things. And yeah. I remember walking through it and. You almost feel like you know, like you're drunk or on drugs. Like it's it's very disorienting in a beautiful way. And I was walking through the forest, and then you called, and we're like, "It's happening." And I was yeah. just like, "We are having very different experiences <laughs> yeah. right now." <laughs> yeah, dude. We talked like two weeks later. You were like up on a mountain or something. I don't know, Yosemite, something crazy. And uh, I was in the shit. I was yeah. in the trip. I was having yeah. such a tough time. You know, new dad, two weeks in, yeah. and like we were both shell shocked and. It was just the juxtaposition was like it could we've never been further apart in our entire <laughs> life than, than that moment right then. Um, but you came back, dude. I remember saying, like, I don't think you're coming back. I wasn't sure if I was going to. Yeah. And and then when I was out there. So really, it's always been like I've I've been pulled to nature in a way that I don't understand where I have to go. Like if I if I miss a day of being outside, like alone in nature. Like I feel like I wasted the gift. Dude, part of you is still is still out there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like, I don't think we've ever, since you've been back, we've mm-hmm. never gone on a hike or had a talk, like a serious talk, mm-hmm. where you don't mention eventually going somewhere. That That's in my future. I think I, I'm too connected to mountains yeah. that I need to at least be splitting time. I, I, I have so many strong relationships here with the school, with family, with friends, but the best version of me is probably bouncing back and forth between yeah. mountains and here. Um, but when I went away, I, I realized, like, you know, 
I was seeing the most beautiful things America had to offer that were most aligned with my soul, but I was like, they're not as beautiful as the smile of someone you love. And I, I kind of really integrated that. I was like, all right, I got to come back and I got to build a life here so that will allow me to go have these experiences because I can right. financially afford them, but still adopt responsibility here and build the life because I'm going for the best possible life. And what is that? It's married to a woman I love, which I did. It's having kids, which we will. And then it's balancing service with being alone in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, my. You can't have one. You can't have one without the other. It doesn't see. I really wanted to. I was really hoping I could just be away in the woods forever. Yeah. I, I was hoping. And when I got to Oregon, I was like, I might stay here. If I'm going to stay anywhere. It never got goofy. It. Did it get goofy? Did part of you like start getting a little loopy? Were you losing parts of yourself out there? I think so. Because you have so many different. Did you, did you ever have a moment where you're like, uh oh, getting a little squirrely? I was deeply at home the whole time. Now there were, I can tell you like there were some long drives where it's like, all right, I got to drive 10 hours to the next national park. And I would just be bawling on the the car ride just out of gratitude for like oh, the wow. life I was living and for back home and for there. Um, I've always been very, very at home in the present moment alone. Like I, I think I've sort of, I found a home within myself where I'm very, comfortable and thrilled to be alone in the woods but at the same time i recognize that like my path is also one of service that i have a personal obligation to be of value to others yeah um and that's why i've you know i've sort of dove head into this like life coaching practice um that allows me to coach virtually and it's having this conversation with incredible people and helping them on their own hero's journey, right? Like, where do we need to go and figuring out how to get there? But I can do that virtually. Right. So I can do that from the mountains. I can do that from a van driving to a national park. So that's where I recognize, like, my highest self, that is a large way that I serve people because it fulfills the requirement of service, but also fulfills the requirement of me getting to experience nature. So here's my judgment for myself personally. I like, I, I get the appeal. Like I, I wish I could uh, pencil that into my life, like mm -hmm. going out to the woods. But I would say this, if you spent your entire life in the woods, it wouldn't be a wasted life, mm -hmm. but uh, you would have left a lot on the table. Yeah. You know, if you spent your entire life serving people and never seeing another tree, mm -hmm. it, it would not be a wasted life. It would not be. Part of my soul would be starved. Yeah. I feel that living here. You know, like we're in Cherry Hill right now, closer to Amber's family, which is great. I mean, you got Wharton, you got Black Run Preserve, you've got Brendan Byrne. There's enough places to go get lost in the woods, but most of me is very filled up here. Yeah. Part of me is starving, yeah, starving to get out. And like this Friday, I'm getting up at four in the morning, I'm running to North Jersey, I'm gonna go <laughs> hike for 12 hours and come back. And that will sort of fill me up yeah. for a day or two, but in the arc of my life, it is not sustainable for me to be living in this densely populated of an area all It's the time. hard, man. It's unnatural. Yeah. Some people thrive in it. It's It just always feels very, very unnatural for me. My brother's in New York City. Loves it. Yeah, no thanks. No. I get anxiety. Like That's where I get my tattoos. It's just, yeah. it's it's draining. It's exhausting for it me is. to go there, you know? It is. Um, I just wonder, like, do you think if you lived the rest of your life in the woods that you'd be just as thirsty and starving? for having, having not fulfilled the service part. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I need both. Do you I, think, I think everybody does? 
I, I don't think, think everybody needs solitude. Like Melissa, my wife, mm-hmm. she does not need sol. She does. She hates solitude. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if that's because she needs to do the work first to get there, but it just doesn't seem like she she wants people around. But mm-hmm. she does have to serve. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And unfortunately, in the job she's got, it's it's hard to do that. So she finds different ways. She serves her family as much as possible. Yeah. You know, she comes to the school and she serves as much as she can. That fulfills something in her. And then you notice, you see other people on the mat. At first, everybody's kind of, it's chaos and they're, they're struggling to survive as a white belt. Mm. There's just so much going on. But once they get to like a stable position where they kind of, they, they're in their own flow. They know how to, how to train, how to take class, how to learn. The first thing they start doing is helping other people. Yeah, yeah. You think everybody has that, that thirst? I think like, evolutionarily, it's probably something that was passed on because the ones that helped were the ones that were helped and that kept the group together and survived and passed on those genes and traits. So I think that's we're social creatures and that's part of it. I think it is Carl Jung's idea that what we're really pursuing is wholeness. And yeah. that wholeness is different for all of us. But you will be pulled toward many different things that will act across purposes to each other. Like me wanting to be alone in the woods and me wanting to serve people. And finding out that right wheel where each spoke is the appropriate length so the wheel can roll, right? That is the beauty of your own unique curriculum is to find that balance. That's the second time you said curriculum. What do you mean? I think that you are a... The Jungian self-idea of what you would be if you manifested every aspect of yourself fully and you reached your potential, whatever that is, that your experiences are the curriculum that provide the necessary adaptive stimulus to force you to become what it is you're supposed to become. So I view everything, especially the hardships, as this is my curriculum yeah. today. You know that, That's so important. And I know what you're talking about, curriculum. I want to hear you say it. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, if people are going to take anything out of this today, it's just if you can use the right words when things, when bad, seemingly bad things befall you, yeah. it changes the, the way you, you perceive them and react to them. 100%. If you look at, yeah. at like a shitty situation as as part of your curriculum, mm-hmm. like man, just get the job done and like you pass the the test, you pass the course, right? Yeah. And an easy, an, like an easy metaphor, a good example would be jujitsu. Like you're rolling mm-hmm. with somebody who's a little bit better than you. That's a curriculum. Yeah. It's very obvious that that's the case. Yeah. Everything that they do to you is something you need to figure out and overcome. Yes. Why? What happens on the other side of that? You're the next version of you're yourself. You're the next version of yourself. Yeah. And that's yeah. somebody that you can sit with a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. That's somebody who you would, wouldn't mind being in the silence with. Yeah. And more importantly, I think, it's somebody who's more capable to get you to, you know, one more step towards that person who, like you said, is the ideal version of yourself. And yeah. it doesn't happen by accident. It yeah. w- right? It won't. It, it does not seem... At like least it wouldn't happen if you avoid the curriculum. It, even if you know the goal and the curriculum... It is very labor intensive to get there, and you may not. You're not. A who, lot who, has to go. Who's gotten way. to the ideal? No, I mean, but again, that's something that it's like jujitsu. That as you advance, the ideal recedes, right? Because you become more capable. Always so and forever. More capable. Yeah. Always so, and forever. But good example of that is like Gordon. Yeah. One of the things that I like about what he says when he's not like talking shit, which. <laughs> 
we know Gordon. Like, you know mm-hmm. Gordon very well. Like, you yeah. spent a lot of time with Gordon. What do you think he is as a person? Beautiful human being. Do you yeah. think he's this persona? No. I think it's it's an aspect of his personality that he, he is that confident. He is that confident. Yeah. Like, yeah. he does believe in himself, but he's not a dick. Like, he's, he's a really beautiful a respectful. heart of just a servant, like a really good dude. Always a respectful, nice guy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I like that, like, when he talks about his accomplishments, mm-hmm. He always says, and I still have another 20 years. Yeah. He's like, imagine how good I'll be in 15 years. Yeah. Most people are like, look what I did. You know, and like they don't, they can't imagine a world where, where when they're quote unquote over the hill at 35, 36, yeah. that they're going to be much better. Yeah. But he does, man. He does have this crazy ideal mm-hmm. that he's going to strive towards. And we, we can both guess what's going to happen when he gets there. Yeah. He's going to have a new one that's even further off. you got to applaud somebody like that. Yeah. And you have to learn from them. That's, that's a valuable lesson. Yeah, it is. It is. It just, again, right, the ability to be aware of what's worth pursuing and then have the lifestyle designed to pursue it effectively. Yeah. Whether it's becoming the best in the world jiu-jitsu or it's buying a house and having a nice backyard, you know, like whatever your path is. And that's where, again, like I really think we, on the whole, self-esteem-wise, do a great discredit to ourselves and our peers by undervaluing the uniqueness of our pursuits. Yeah. It no path is though through the lens of cultural values some are better than others like yo you're all on a hero's journey. And it doesn't matter how it compares to other people because like this is your classroom. This yeah, is and your, look, you're the hero of your story. Yeah. No matter what no matter how it stacks up. Is it going to be a terrible story? I mean, it's your call, you know? Is the dragon going to eat you, or are you going to refuse the call and stay in your parents' basement? I mean, sure. Hey, we didn't say this. Sometimes the dragon does slay you. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. sometimes you do answer that call, and, yeah. and you don't win that battle. Yeah. And But that's the beautiful part of life, is that there are an endless amount of dragons. Exactly. You realize you bounce back. Dude, like, you know, we both have not been single for a long time, but if you miss the opportunity to talk to the pretty girl... Five minutes later is another pretty girl. You know, like there's always opportunities to rectify your previous wrongdoings, which again was more so you weren't ready to make the change then. Yeah. And now you are. And the important thing is to do it. The best way to do it is to do it, to take aim, even though you're not going to hit the target and you don't even really know what the target is, but you got to, you got to take a shot. Yeah. You got to get the ball rolling. Yeah. Um, Dude, I don't want to take any more of your time. What do we got? What time is it? It's 12 o'clock. Got a little bit of time. I want minutes, yeah. to talk a little bit about about your curriculum, your books. Okay. Do a shameless plug, dude. A shameless Where, plug. All right. Let's say I want to get started reading the um, the Library of Chrismatakis. Where should I start? All right. I would go on Amazon. I would type in my name, and all the books come up. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend them in chronological order, though they're all great. The first two, the My Masteries, are like a very good beginning approach to here's some strategies to do better at jiu-jitsu. Can I, let me frame it this way. Please. Um, I don't know if you realize, hopefully you do, because I'm vocal about it, the impact you had on me. Likewise. And a big part of it was beyond our just our conversations, mm-hmm. you've like curated this, this reading list for me <laughs> since the day we met. And yeah. I don't know if you, I don't think that you were just shoving books that you just finished into my hand, which most yeah. people do. Yeah. Dude, I just read this book, fucking read it. Yeah. It's. It seems like you like introduced me to things slowly, and like like purposefully. Uh-huh. You started me off on Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Great. Yeah. Which, as Nikolai Eskos would would summarize, <laughs> just, just be, be peaceful, peaceful bro. bro. 
and and Mata- and uh, Max was holding it upside down. <laughs> um, that's so like you know I tr- I want to emulate that and like I want to like my I want to buy books for my staff and I would yeah. not buy the same book for all of them. No, they're all in very different places. I, every Christmas I do that where everyone knows a gift I give is books. Unless you're like my wife or my mom, I'm not giving you a gift. And if I do, it's a book, yeah. right? Yeah. And so every Christmas, the instructors get it. And I get them very different books. Because yeah. some people don't read much. Some people are struggling with this aspect of their lives. Some people want to become this. Some people just need access to a new idea that their environment hasn't given to them. Um, Dude, so so you started me off on Way of the Peaceful Warrior, Dan Millman. Where else did we go? Then we went to Siddhartha, oh, which I revisit every year. Yeah. Um, then we, I, I forget where we went. Then we started getting deeper. Mm-hmm. But it was the the point being, you started me off on the most accessible, the fundamentals class. Yeah, it's the fundamentals class. Like the like, it's more laid back. It's mm-hmm. you know more fiction in it. Even though it's like based off of real. I stuff. remember when you, I gave you Aldous Huxley, and you hated it. <laughs> yeah, too much. I, uh, I wouldn't recommend those books. No, nah, well, people, here's yeah. the thing, dude. You got me to a point where um we could at least have these conversations, mm-hmm. and then. I could look at a book and see if I'm going to derive the value out of it worth my time. Yeah. And the, the thing is, back in the day, all I had was time, so it didn't matter what you handed me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, through that lens, if somebody's going to type into Amazon Chris Matakis, mm-hmm. like, where are you going to start them off? Where are they going to go? So probably on jiu-jitsu, five rules for white belts or hero, I would think. So on jiu-jitsu is by far the most popular book. Like, that's that's awesome. That sells hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of copies a month, which is amazing because it has nothing to do with (laughs) jujitsu. It's viewing jujitsu through the lens of virtue and vice and what it's actually doing to our character. So that's very encouraging for me that that's what's most popular. Then Five Rules for White Belt is the second most popular. And that's, I had a, we had class on Halloween one year and no one showed up except one dude. And he would train for like a week and I was like, all right, bro, what do you think jujitsu is? And I like worked through it with him. And pretty much in this like one hour class through words, I created the outline of five rules for white belt. So it was just the entire class I had with him. And he got done and he was like, I have different eyes now to view jujitsu. So I was like, I got to put this into a book. So I put that into a book. And that's been really great. A lot of school owners buy that in bulk, which is very rewarding and awesome. Yeah. Um, and then Hero is everything we talked about today, but through the lens of jiu-jitsu. So they're all great. Um, but each one sort of represents a different evolution of you know my uh, interpretation of what jiu-jitsu is. So they're all different. Some are more, here's some techniques and strategies to acquire skill. Some are, here's how you can take what you learn on the mat and apply it off your life. You know, But they're, uh, they're all pieces in the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I want to say this, dude. Our, our talks have been invaluable. Same. Right? At every stage of my life. And they're going to continue. Yeah. And, you know, they – I don't know if they get better. How can you really say that about, like, a deep conversation? But we've had a lot of good talks. I really encourage everybody listening to invest in a relationship with somebody close to you and find a way to have talks like this. And it's funny, man, because the better our conversations get, the better my marriage gets. And one of the the cool things about Melissa – is say it's been a few weeks and like the world is not getting me down, but like I got a lot going on, man. I have a lot of moving parts yes, with the, the yeah. business, the kids, my own stuff that I'm trying to do. She'll be like, you need some like woods time with Matakis. That's awesome. You know, and, yeah. and she's very vocal about the And she says this to me. 
she's like, look, I can't, I can't go there with you. Mm-hmm. Like we don't, yeah. I don't have that. Like, we're not going to go, we're not going to talk about like the meaning of life mm-hmm. with my, I'm not going to talk about that with Melissa. We do. We just don't say that. Yeah. Like she doesn't yeah. realize, but we are. You do and, it through your actions every day. Exactly. It's not articulate. Like we're living life together. Yeah. And she knows the value of being able to take myself out of that situation and like dissect it with you. Yeah. Um, Dude, and, and I'm lucky. Like, I have a couple different people where I can kind of get into it, into the weeds. Yeah. But you need somebody where you can get into the weeds. You do, because you can't do it yourself. Like, thinking is just having a conversation with yourself. You split yourself into, like, a question and answer. The problem is they're all coming from the same place. And you have this unique perspective that is more biased and ignorant than it is knowledgeable. Yeah. And you need someone to bounce ideas off of with a shared vocabulary. And then you can play catch. And you can inform yourself because we need to think out loud. It's the only way we can think. We need to speak magic words. Yes. And we do that with each other. Do you know, real quick, I didn't mean to cut you off, but the, the difference between thinking about this stuff and saying it out loud, your brain, I think you were kind of getting to this, your mm-hmm. brain covers gaps masterfully. The, the synapses, right? Oh, dude, <laughs> it's like you'll have a thought and your brain makes these logical leaps and like yeah. fills in these mm-hmm. gaps and like the thought really isn't that coherent or it's just not that valid. That's why you write. That's you, why. Writing isn't valid. I got to get back to writing, dude. I miss We it. all do. And that's one of the reasons you, Peterson would say you write a book because you're trying to solve a problem. Yeah. And you need to formulate your philosophy clearly. And this, not, this has been very, very helpful. Oh, sure. Right. Yeah. That Have, having like an hour and a half conversation twice a week. Yeah. Even though it's, you know, usually with Coach Pete and he's like <laughs> picking his nose and eating it. <laughs> But uh, just saying the words out loud is very yeah. different than just thinking them. It is. And that's why writing is so valuable because you can take all this esoteric random knowledge that's all over your brain in different locations and formulate one cohesive thought or narrative. And uh, it's really invaluable for the integration of like your own psyche. So here's a different way to look at it. So Carl Jung used to have his patients like scribble and just draw random crap on the page, right? And they would inevitably draw shapes. And he would notice that as they would advance in their personality and become more integrated and whole, their scribbles became more organized and became more symmetrical. And now the circle got inside the square, inside the big triangle. And you could see that the chaos on the page paralleled the chaos in their mind. And then the order on the page paralleled the order of their mind. So writing is the same way. Like, I'm working, so I think the next book, I'll always write about jujitsu, but what I really want to write about, especially after the last year, is how our physical health is purely, not purely, but is a reflection of our psychological health. And everyone wants to lose weight. Everyone wants to look good naked. But I want to go about it the other way. And this is going to be a big part of my coaching in the future is I want to work on creating the psychological shift toward wellness. And inevitably, the body flows downstream. Yeah, Like, that's it. Because in the same way you need to communicate like we are to formulate these ideas and understand them and have like a clear directive you need to do it in if you're scribbling in images if you're an artist you need to do art to because images speak to your subconscious in yeah. a way words don't so you need to find a vehicle to speak to you to organize yourself whether it's a friend whether it's writing whether it's whatever and never before has it been so impressed upon me the need to heal psychologically so we can heal physically yeah when when it's what 78 percent of hospital cases of covid were people obese you know 
the body flows downstream from the mind and the thing I'm most passionate about is the mind. So this is where I get a legitimate publisher and like, you know, a it's real commitment. I, I really want to spend time on that and everything we talked about today, how can that be translated into something accessible that helps a father of three lose 40 pounds in his 40s? Yeah. That's the sweet spot. If anybody can do it, you can, you know. And one more point about having somebody to like, you know, bounce your ideas off of, mm -hmm. to, to go deeper down the rabbit hole, to uncover a little bit more of what's going on in your brain that maybe you're not really like, you know, aware of. Yeah. You also need somebody to hold you accountable. So yeah. like, man, I respect the hell out of you. So like, Same. I'm not going to bullshit you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it, uh, the value of having a guy like you in my life is I can't be full of shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I can't yeah. come to you with some some crap about, like, like who I think I am. Because mm -hmm. you're going to look at me and be like, okay. Mm -hmm. Like, you know. Yeah. And uh, that's invaluable, man. And, like, it's almost like there's, like, an avid. Like, you know how when you're writing, you have a constant reader? Yes. And, like, when I'm when I'm developing a curriculum for the jiu-jitsu school, I have an avatar in my head. It's perfect. Like, when, I have, when I'm doing, like, junior sharks level one, I picture a, a kid that I want to help, yeah. little Timmy. And, like, what's it going to take to, to – have a little Timmy get the most out of this. Yes. When I'm having thoughts or like, you know, just doing something, I'm about to make a decision. It's important to have people like you in my life that even though you're not sitting there looking at me, I need to be able to tell you about this. Yes. And not feel like a dirtball about it. And have it stress tested. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. dude. And I don't want to like lose, for lack of a better term, lose face in the eyes of my friend, somebody like I respect and hold dear. No, and I mean, it goes both ways. I think. Likewise, real quick. Yeah. I also wouldn't want my jujitsu to be shit. Yeah. And like yours be much better because that affects the dynamic of our relationship too. It's true. That's one of the reasons why we all got so close was because we had that shared respect for each other's path. Dude, if, if Max was a little bit better, we it would have probably changed our relationship. Yeah, he wouldn't have been a peer. Yeah. Yeah. Like we were just holding on, but yeah. we were able to like bully him a little bit. Yeah. But there, that was the good thing about our, our like little foursome. Yeah, hundred percent. And within that peer group, everyone has different strengths that complement the group. So you're very kind in all the ways you said you've. I have been a benefit to you. You've been equally beneficial, if not more, in different areas of life. You know, like how many times you tell me, like, bro, you should probably get a girlfriend. You know, <laughs> I was just when, trying to hold you down to the earth a couple times. Yeah, yeah, which I needed. Same thing now with you know business and running a jiu-jitsu school and being the leader while at the same time wanting to be alone in the woods like i need your influence and yeah. you've always done that for me and i think that's what a real friendship is a balance of peers and you're also mentors for each other in different things yeah that's the sweet spot that's a real friendship yeah. it's good when you can both bring something different to the table yeah so like go back to jiu-jitsu like the purple circle, we had this beautiful dynamic. Mm -hmm. We all brought, we all kind of had the same sense of humor. We all brought this, like, uh, maybe the same desire to accomplish things, like, physically, yeah. but different skill sets. Yeah. But they were all pretty even. Yeah. So it, mm -hmm. it lent itself to, like, a, a good, like, democracy, right? Yeah. But yeah. then you throw somebody like Dante Rivera into the mix, <laughs> and, like, he's hilarious, and yes. we fucking love Dante. He's got yeah. a heart of gold. He's the best. Yeah. But he's like a condescending dude. <laughs> but he wouldn't be like that. He's not like that with anybody who's better than him. Yeah. So he, okay. like he really like the hierarchy of jujitsu skill yeah. really dictates his behavior. Yes. And I think it does everybody's whether you realize it or not. I agree. So like, you know, it's important that you find some, like a counterpart. You do. And the good thing is in jujitsu, like it's pretty obvious. 
The you find belts that, help. I mean, yeah, yeah the dude. belt system's there for a reason. You're right. You do. You, you need a peer group. You need a sangha. You need a community of people to pursue this path with. And if you're fortunate enough to, if you're really pursuing it together, that means you are bonded in a way where your relationship transcends the mat. And then that's what allows. I think that's like, inevitable. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that happens. I think when maybe there's some outliers, but from what I've seen over the last 14 years or whatever, mm-hmm. when when the guys are like meeting up before class to drill mm-hmm. and they're like getting most of their rounds in together and they they volunteer to clean the mats together after class. Yes. It's inevitable that they're going to be buddies, that they're going to spend a lot of time off the mat. Yeah. yeah. You know, it'll start like they drive down to a Naga together. Yep. And then that's yeah. like they get they get dinner afterwards and they're best friends for life. Yeah. You know, then they're in each other's weddings. And we need that. We do. It, life is an absolute beautiful gift, but life is a team sport. You know, you need the right people around you. And that's something I've realized, like one of my own shortcomings in my lack of leadership is the lack of prioritizing the people because there is nothing more important than your people, whether it's a deep friend or it's, you know, a valuable instructor, whatever it might be. People are the most valuable asset in more ways than one. And we need to treasure and protect meaningful relationships, like no matter what happens, like like my boy Chuck, right? We I go, love Chuck. Chuck's the freaking man. He's a beautiful human being. We meet up Sunday mornings for walks. Chuck you know? shouldn't exist. Dude, I'm so grateful like- <laughs> that in my hero story, he's my, like, uh, the avatar of my assistant. You yeah. know, uh, he's the former Division One lineman, you know, who's 6'3", 400 pounds, calves bigger than my waist. Yeah. You know? Gentle giant. Gentle dude. giant, heart of a servant, hilarious, you know, like. He shouldn't exist. No, he's a cartoon character. I'm very grateful that he does exist. But when you have someone like that, that when you find, if we can use meaning to orient ourselves in our lives, when you find a relationship meaningful, it is meeting so many needs that you are not aware of and you have to protect it at all costs. You got to fight for it. It's the same way you fight for the uh, culture of your jujitsu academy. It's something that you can't just address once, set it and forget it. Every day. Constantly. Yeah. And what you're saying, guard your relationships, invest in them, be grateful for them, be mindful of them. Yeah. They're, they're the, when it's all said and done, I think they're the things we're going to look at and be like, that was the best part of jujitsu was the people, not yeah. any of the Dude, other you nonsense. and I, when was the last time you and I trained together? It's been a long time. Long, it years. doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. Nothing's changed. No, and I'm sure the role would be exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, you're out of time. I appreciate having you. I'm sure you'll be you. on a whole bunch. I would love that. This is, this is a good place to start. What's the next one going to be if this was the hero's oh, journey? You're telling me, dude. I'll, I'll put some thought over. into it. We'll find something fun. We could just bullshit if you want. That'd it doesn't too. matter, man. When when's the next book coming out? Uh, hopefully in within the month. Yeah. So uh, I did the final edits. I got to send those to Trev. Uh, we just got to change the cover, and then it's out. So awesome. Within a month. Yeah. So right, on dude. behalf of jujitsu and wholeness, which is appropriate for this conversation. Indeed. Yeah. All right, dude. Guys, thanks for listening, and take care. Thank you, friends.